right, you can be seated. Just want to let you know, y'all look very cool out there in your sunglasses. I wish I could get away with that this morning. But anyway, look real cool. We're going to have a little great time here. Um, don't move, though, okay? But I want you to look at the people around you and if, you know, just say, hey, if you're really cool, just do one of these at the person. Just greet one another this morning, all right? All right, there you go. Thank y'all for coming out. We really appreciate you being here. Um, I know this is completely... Oh, okay, yeah, there you go, yeah. So there's always one, right? Anyway, we do thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I know it's a little warm, uh, but maybe when the sun goes behind the clouds, it'll cool off a little bit. Uh, but we are so glad you made an attempt to be here with us this morning. Uh, today we're going to begin a new series for three weeks, and it's called "Non-Essential." Excuse me, "Essential Fruit, Non-Essential Frustration." Now, all I have to do is say this sermon series, and you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Many of you know that there's spiritual fruit mentioned in Scripture, and we're about to read about that. And, and you probably know these are the things that God desires to be seen through us. But then there's those periods of frustration in our lives. And right now, we're all living in it, I would say. We're living during a period of frustration. And so I want to challenge you this morning that even though we live in difficult times, challenging times, we still need to live in the way that God desires us to live. So uh, Galatians 5.22 says this, and you know the verse, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. Basically, it's that idea that our response to those challenging times, our frustration, that we crucify those things in order that the fruit of the Spirit can live through us. But it takes some intentionality, doesn't it? Especially when you hear limitations or you hear things you don't want to hear. Or you can't go to Texas Roadhouse or Outback or whatever that may be and enjoy a meal. All those things are kind of off the table right now. And it's frustration for some of us. And then he says this. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, if we are who we truly say we are, let's live like that. And it may require us to live differently than the world. So what we're going to do is over the next three weeks, we're not going to look at all nine through the Spirit. I have strategically picked out the three that I think most of us are struggling with during this time. And today we're going to be looking at joy. Joy. So the title of this sermon is basically Turning Sour Grapes into Joy. How many of you have been in the sour grape episode of your time? Yeah, for some of us, it's kind of been there, haven't we? Let me give the introduction to the series. The fruit of the Spirit is a picture of spiritual qualities that are reflected in the personality and relationships of the believer. The biblical goal for every believer is for the spiritual fruit to ripen in our lives ripen in our lives, no matter when, no matter if there's times of frustration, challenges, inconveniences, these are things that God desires to see through us. Now, before we jump into this, let me explain to you what fruit producing looks like. If you were to say, okay, if I'm going to be someone who bears the fruit of what God desires, where does it begin? Well, it begins where you think it does, planting. We need to plant. 
And what are we planting? Well, the Bible says we are to plant the Word of God in our hearts. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, he talks about the parable of the soul. And he's basically saying the, the Word of God needs to be implanted in our lives, and from that will come fruit. Now, the, after the planting, there is an idea of cultivating. It's the idea of nourishing and pruning even. So nourishing, of course, we would say maybe that could be prayer. Uh, it could be having the right thoughts. It could be even the whole idea of crucifying the flesh. But then there's something called pruning. And I think that's the time in which we live right now. Uh, is we're in the pruning season of our lives, I believe. And it's that idea of recognizing that challenging times can produce God's desired outcomes in our lives. This may be one of the best opportunity he has to produce what he desires in your life. But then there comes the producing. And why would we produce something through our lives? Well, for consumption and also propagation. So what does that look like? It's the whole idea that there's something being created in us. Now, let me ask you a very thought-provoking question. What do you think has been created in you over these last couple of months? The frustration or the fruit? Has it been the, the gentleness, the kindness? Have you kind of lost it with one another? Some of you have been together more than you've ever been together in your whole lives. You're ready for the kids. I mean, you know, the fall can't get here quick enough. I get all that, okay? But, but here's the real deal. Could this be a great opportunity for God to develop something in you that could be life-transforming? And then there's also this idea of producing growth in others. I think we're responsible to have the right type of influence in other people's lives. Some of you, it's built in with your children, with your grandchildren, with those who are looking into your life. And so we need to model, we need to influence what it looks like to crucify the flesh, maybe the frustrations and the inconveniences, and see that fruit that God desires to produce through us. I want you to turn, if you can, your phone, whatever you have, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look through several passages in that book. Now, in the book of Philippians, Paul not only writes about joy, he's also demonstrating the outcome of joy. He's basically saying when there's joy in your life, this is what's going to be produced. This is going to be the fruit of it. In four chapters, Paul uses 16 references to joy. Now, here's what will blow your mind. Paul didn't write this when he was sitting on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea on vacation. That's not when he wrote this. He was, in a Roman, he was imprisoned in Rome awaiting his possible execution. And so when he writes this book on joy, it's not where we would probably write this book or this letter. And so we see what he's up against. So, but here's what I think we need to understand through Paul's life and how he wrote it. Life without joy can be overwhelming. How many of you have lived long enough to see that play out? For Paul, if, if this was not in his life, I don't think he would have been capable of writing the letter. It would have been too oppressive. It would have been too overwhelming for him. But we're seeing the character of Paul here when in the midst of execution, in his imprisonment, he is able to write probably the greatest letter ever when it comes to joy in one's life. Now, before we go any further, let me give you the definition of joy and how I'm looking at it this morning. It's the unshakable assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. Now, 
When this season that is upon us, for some of you, your lives have been totally, <laughs> it's, it's just out of kilter. Uh, you, you're kind of losing your way. Some of you have told me that you don't even sometimes know what day it is. I, I get that. And, and it's a little different for some of you. Have you ever wondered, if God is in control, I'm his child, what must he be doing? I think that's probably a question we're all asking. And then it's this, the unshakable assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right, and the determined purpose to praise God in all things, even in crises, even in inconvenience, even when the restaurant's closed, even when the kids can't go to school, to praise him in all things. I want to ask, uh, I've asked somebody to help me this one. Brody, come on up here if you don't mind. Brody's not even looking at me. Come on up here. How many of you remember the song, I've Got the Joy, Joy, Joy? Remember the song? We're outside, so come, come right here. I've I got to stay six feet away from you anyway. Okay, but, but, but here it is, okay? So I want you to sing it with me, all right? And here's our wear man, okay? This is the wear guy, all right? So let's go ahead. Let's get started. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Where? <laughs> Hold on a second, y'all. Y'all are really struggling with joy, aren't you? I mean, you sound like the crisis has just blown your world, okay? We're here to celebrate there's something greater than our crisis, okay? Greater than this virus. Let's try it again. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? To stay. I'm sorry. Never mind. Thank you, Brody. You did a great job. Bless your heart. Going back to doing what you were doing, okay? All right. Now, let me, um, that joy is something that we not only sing about, it's not only something we celebrate, it is something that he desires, once again, to be in us. So in this letter, Paul gives us six ways to build joy. And the first way is to invest in others. Have you ever noticed when things don't go your way, how self-centered you become? Have you ever noticed that? How, how many of you wake up some mornings and get out there in life and, and basically it's almost like that day everyone is out there just to tick you off? You ever had those days? You go through the line at Bojangles. There's someone there just to tick you off. You get to work, tick you off. I mean, it's almost like they're being planted. Have you ever stopped to assume that it may not be all them, but it may be who? Maybe you. That's, that's the way I am. I mean, sometimes I, I do. I think everybody's out to get me. How many of you feel that way sometimes? It's almost like today y'all have all chosen to tick me off. I even ask my wife sometimes. I mean, and she's very innocent in this. She has no idea. But sometimes I wake up with the wrong attitude in the morning. I know you find that shocking, but sometimes that happens. And, and she's basically, she hasn't really done anything. Sometimes she can just ask a question. I'm like, were you meant to tick me off all day today? I mean, is, is, is something determined here? Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Y'all don't ever deal with this? Well, needless to say, those are those days that we struggle with this joy. And we, what happens is when we struggle with joy, we turn everything inward. We do. Well, Paul was joyful because he was unselfish. 
Let me tell you a little bit more about Paul. He, was, he had joy because he invested in others. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 1, and I want you to look at verse 3. I want you to hear Paul's love, his joy for these people. He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. When, when God began to do that work all the way up to this point. And then he says this. Being confident of this very thing that he who's begun a good work in you, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it's right for me to think of this of you all, I have you in my heart inasmuch both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel that you are all partakers with me in grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with the great affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may still abound more and more in knowledge and of all discernment. Paul is basically saying, you know something? You are people that I invest in. You are people that bring joy to my life. Now listen, I minister to a lot of people. I think some of you minister to a lot of people. Sometimes ministering to other people can be overwhelming. It really can. And for those of you who do have influence in other people's lives, and God's given you that platform of influence to help other people, I understand that there are times that can become overwhelming. But I want you to listen to Paul. Paul is right there. His journey possibly on this, in this world is possibly about to end. And he's sitting there, and he's not overwhelmed about the potential that God could do through him. He is joyful about what God could do through him. I think we as leaders, we need to pay attention to that. You know, it's interesting. Jesus once said this. He said, the more you give your life away, the more you're going to find it. Can I give you a different way of looking at this? The more you give your life away... The more joy, the more peace, the more all the fruit of the Spirit will be relevant in your day and will be seen in your day. A second way to build joy in your life is yield to the purposes of God. Another joy killer that I believe that many people have in their life is there's no perceived purpose in their life. It's just like they're drifting in life and, and they don't know where they came from, where they're going, why they're even here. They're just going through life to have any joy in their life seems to be something that's hit and miss. They're basically just living, living for temporary pleasure, for temporary happiness. But there's no joy. There's no joy there. God desires for there to be joy, that it's something that comes through us. Listen to this. Again, living for yourself does not bring joy. Paul realized this about his life. When Paul writes this letter, I want you to think about this. He literally lost everything. He's imprisoned. He's in poor health. He has no freedom, no privacy, nothing. But his purpose was still in full view. There was something that was greater than anything he had in his life that was real to him. And it had nothing to do with materialism. It had nothing to do. It was all about the purpose that God gave him in his life. I want you to look at verse 19 of chapter 1. Here's how he says it. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and su supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. When he says the deliverance, let me tell you what he means by that. He's going to read to tell us, really. If I die, that's deliverance. If I get out of here and I'm able to minister to you, that's deliverance too. He, he didn't care how this was going to turn out. 
He knew who was in charge. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. He says, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. He's basically saying, you know something? This is not an easy choice. I'm sitting here possibly awaiting my execution. I'm possibly looking, at, looking forward to that. But if I'm left here, I want my life to count for something. You see... His purpose was beyond this world. Now, if you want to have a joy-filled life, you need to get in line with the, God's purpose for your life. So what is his purpose for you? I'm going to give it to you generically, okay? Here's what I believe is his purpose for you. To invest in others, to live above your circumstances, and to bring him glory through your life. No matter if there's a virus hanging out there that's creating all kinds of inconveniences or the best day of your life has ever occurred, bringing glory to him. A third way to build joy in your life is to put the past behind. Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3 that if you want joy in your life, there's some things you've got to get rid of. It's those things that are wearing you down. So this morning, let me ask you a question. In the heaviness of what we're going through as a nation, and it really is a world, in the heaviness of all that, what is truly weighing you down? Is it the inconveniences? Is it this? Is it that? For, for some of you, I'll tell you what it is, because it was the same for, way for me when it first started. I was almost shocked at my response to it. I, I thought I had some things that I could get beyond. I, I thought circumstances weren't going to have a whole lot to do. I thought I, was where, I thought I was in a good place with the Lord. I thought things were... But you know something? This thing revealed things to me I didn't like. I've, sh I've shared that with you before. And for some of us, we need to realize that we're on a journey. So my question to you is, in all this, what is wearing you down? I, I want you to think of a couple of things that could weigh us down from the past. The first thing is regrets. Regrets can keep us from experiencing joy. I mean, we all have regrets. For some of you, they're haunting. Paul even mentions it. If you go to chapter 3, verse 6... He's describing his life before Christ. Look at what he says. Concerning zeal, concerning passion, I persecuted the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He's basically saying, you know something? I came against the church. And he did. He had people killed because they were part of the church. That was part of his past. This whole idea of creating his own righteousness. He thought he could make himself presentable to God in a way that he could be accepted by God in his own righteousness. He missed it completely. And he's basically saying... And then he skipped down to verse 13. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there. I'm not even there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me. He refused to let his past paralyze him in the future. He refused to do that. He wanted to continue to move on. The best way to find joy is to let go of your past, your regrets, your grudges even, those things that still your joy. Another thing in your past that can steal your joy are rewards, your past victories. Thinking back in the day when I did this and I did that, I'm starting to get to that age. I'm 55 now. I'm the speed limit in most places. I'm 55. 
And, and I'm just now getting into that moment where I'm starting to understand where old people are. Have you ever been around some old people? And I tell you, well, back in my day, have you ever heard those stories? Back in my day, let me tell you how hard it was. Back in my day, I could have come against you, beat you in basketball, beat you again, and then beat you again, and went home, got something, come back and beat you. I mean, I mean, we go on and on and on. How many of you know people like that? We live back in those days of great reward. And, and basically, we're just resting on past victories. We can do that even in our spiritual life. How many of you have uh, spiritual markers in your life? When you look back at that time, you're like, man, I tell you, that, that was the time. That was the time. For some of you, you've been in this church a long time. You remember master life. Some of you took master life, and that was a spiritual marker. That's when, man, I, I tell you. For some of you, it was other courses or some Betty Moore course or whatever, um, Beth Moore, whatever it is. I mean, it's just those times where it just seems so real to you. And, and you're there. And, but he's saying this. There needs to always be a new day. There's a new victory just lying ahead. Listen to what God said to the nation of Israel. He said, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Don't dwell on the regrets. Don't dwell on your past accomplishments. See, I am doing a new thing. Listen, if you're breathing and you're a child of God, he's desiring to do a new thing in your life. I don't care how old you are. He's looking to do a new thing, and that will be the source of your joy. So the starting point of joy is to let go of the past, the regrets, and the rewards, and look to a new day, a new work, a new purpose. Next, another way to build joy in your life is trust God with the future. Trust God with the future. For some of you, you're wondering, how's all this going to play out? Will the economy come back? Was, what, what's going to happen in all that? Well, let me say this. Worry is the greatest kill joy of joy. Do you know that? Worry destroys joy. If you're worrying, you have no joy. And if you have joy... You have no worry. <laughs> they can't coexist. So worry is just as useless as regret. Think about what happens with worry. When worry comes into our lives and fear does the same thing, it's all we see. It's right there in front of us. We don't see the possibilities. We don't see the work. And so many times that's where we're overwhelmed. We can't move on. So what are we to do? Well, first of all, look, if you have an outline there in front of you, trust God daily. Every day. Just waking up with that perspective every day. Look at verse 13. He said, Brother, I did not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and what? Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, a person reaching forward toward the prize is not worrying. If you're worrying, it means one thing. You're not trusting and you're not praying. And you say, well, how we, why would you say it that way? Because of this. When prayer is active in my life and I'm actually going before God, you know what happens to me every time? It seems like every time that I'm praying about some matter, God gives me a new perspective on that same matter. Maybe it's an inconvenience. Maybe it's just this whole idea of the inconveniences of the virus and all these different things. He brings me a different perspective of what he may choose to do in me, but instead I'm looking at the worry. I'm looking at the fear. I'm looking at what this may cost me. When he wants us to live daily trusting him, we need to trust God with our eternity. 
I want you to think about that. Look what he says in verse 20 of chapter 3. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, listen, you have dual citizenship. It is here and in heaven. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body, that it will be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. What he says he's going to do, he's going to do. And so basically... Paul, in the darkest days of what we would say of his life, we, if we were in his situation, we would probably classify these days as some of the darkest days of his lives, life. He was awaiting possible execution, yet he writes this. Why is he so capable of writing something like this? It's because he, was fully, he, he fully saw God's sovereignty in his life. He fully trusted God, and he knew that when this world is over, there's a new world on the other side. He had those assurances. Next, another way to build joy in your life is to focus on the present. Well, let me say this. I think most of you know it. The only thing you can change in your life is in the present. Did you know that? You're not capable of changing the past or the future. You can change the present. Think about that. Regretting yesterday, the past, and worrying about tomorrow, the future, must be replaced with the focus of the present. That's where change takes place. In this day of fear of virus, economic hardship, and dissatisfaction with the political climate, it is difficult to focus many times on what is good and what is positive. The fact that God may be trying to do a deeper work than anything that's glaring in front of us. But the, really, the question is this. What are you choosing to focus on during these times? What are you choosing to focus on? You can choose to focus on what's good. The only way to do this is to not let things or others steal your joy. Let, let me ask you a question. I've asked this before. But how many of you, I want you to think about this. When you, your joy is gone, who do you allow or what do you allow to steal that joy? For some of you, it may be just one person in your life. <laughs> Every time I think about it, no joy. <laughs> For some of you, it's a type of circumstance you can find yourself in or whatever. No joy. But there's several things I want you to look at. Think of this. Don't let people steal your joy. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse 2, all the way down to verse 5, there's these two ladies. And they've had it with each other. They are going at it. They really are. They, they, they let the other steal their joy. And Paul is telling the leadership of that church, will you please help these ladies? <laughs> will you help them come to, to the place they need to be? And then he says this as he begins to close out that part. He says, and, and by the way, the Bible says they're believers. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. That means those of you who are going to mediate this issue between these ladies, let there be something there that you can bring to the table that's going to help the situation. And, and you ladies, you need to understand, you need to pull it together. There's too much at stake to have your joy lost with one another. And that's what he's saying. Next, don't let worry steal your joy. Look at verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And then as a result, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then thirdly, don't let negativity or cynicism steal your joy. 
One thing that I've noticed about as I've hit the double nickels, age 55, I'm working really hard. And I've shared this with our Wednesday night Bible study. There's battles that I'm facing as I get older that I had no idea I'd be facing. And one of them is just the fact that as I get older, I have to be very intentional not to be cynical. How many of you can relate to that? If you're over 50, how many of you can relate to this? Amen. A bunch of lying people out there are too lazy to raise your hand. Anyway, you really have to work hard at not being cynical and negative. And that's something that I've really tried to work through. Look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, things are just, things are lovely, things are a good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, put your focus on these things. Meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace, he'll be with you. Let me tell you why it's so hard not to have a cynical spirit. And there's three things. This is not on the outline. This is free, by the way. I found this in a book that's really helped me with this. What can create a cynical spirit? The first one is knowing too much. How many of you thought that as you get older, you know more? How many of you thought that would be a great blessing to you at some point? No. Sometimes knowing a lot can create a cynical spirit, doesn't it? And I mean, face it, we have a lot of life experience. The goal is to let our life experience produce wisdom and discernment in our lives. But for some of it, it fosters cynicism. So here's what we know. We've had experiences that have let us down. How many of you, uh, you, you get around these younger people, and uh, some of them, they are naive. Others, they just have this sense of curiosity about them, and, and, and they get out there, and, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and, and we're going to do that, and that older person sitting in the corner, yeah, we'll see how that turns out. Are you that person? Or you get in there with that curiosity that they have and that joy? Others have let you down. I mean, you don't have joy with other people because the people that you once allowed to come into your life, to feed in your life, uh, they let you down at some point, and you're not going to put yourself back out there again. Cynicism. How about this one? Life did not deliver. What I thought it was going to be is not what it turned out to be. And all of a sudden, we're dealing with this negativity and this cynical spirit. Secondly, what, what creates a cynical spirit? Protecting the past, excuse me, projecting the past onto the future. And many of us do that, don't we? We've had these times in our lives where it just didn't work out. And, and so we see something that could be promising, and we don't look at it with curiosity and the idea of promise and hope. We look at it as just like the other things. It'll turn out to be nothing also. And then this, why waste my time and energy again, again? Now, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you are hearing yourself in this? That's tough, isn't it? It's tough. We have to be intentional about not letting these things steal our joy. Here's a third one, deciding to stop trusting, hoping, and believing. It's that idea of applying one situation in the past to all situations in the future. It's also the idea that you think you're protecting yourself, but you're limiting your capacity for joy. Because you're not going to let people back in, and you're not going to experience this because it didn't deliver, and this didn't. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you look at your life, and you're paralyzed. 
you're accomplishing nothing because you won't put your heart back out there. You won't put your dreams back out there. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there, and it feels hopeless and no joy. So how do you overcome negativity and cynicism? What you have to do is you have to intentionally grow beyond your paralysis. You, you have to learn how to grow in new areas. You've got to learn how to, to move towards new challenges. Let me, let me tell you this, and, and y'all, I, I want to brag on our senior folks who have been around this church for a long time. If, if we attempted to move the way we've moved this church in the last 20 years, if we attempted to do that with a bunch of people who are negative and cynical and, yeah, yeah, it's not, we could have never be where we are today reaching more and more people in this community. It never would have happened. And so when I start thinking about this, you know what I see? I see people who are willing to grow, even though there's knowledge out there that it may not work out or whatever, but there's a curiosity that comes with it. That's what helps us as we begin to grow once again and we move beyond cynicism. How about this? Put yourself back out there. If you're going to get past your cynicism, you just got to put yourself back out there. You got to trust. You, other people may let you down. It may happen, but you got to keep putting yourself out there. A third thing, dream again. Start dreaming about what God may want to do in your life or what you desire to do on his behalf. And then next, as we move away from cynicism and negativity, don't let circumstances steal your joy. Look at verse 12. Paul said, I know how to be a base. He basically said, I know how to be poor, and I know how to abound. I know how to live with much. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He's basically saying no matter what life throws at him, he's learned how to not let those circumstances supersede what God wants to do in and through his life. You see, there are times I believe, and I don't know about you, and I've told you this many times, there's times I have to turn the news off. How many of you during all this have just said, I can't handle any more information about all this? <laughs> Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes the focus of our lives does not need to be the opinions of Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or whomever. The opinion of life needs to come from God's word. There's something that he's doing in our lives. Think about this. There's something he desires to do in our lives that's bigger than what the rest of the world is dealing with. And the crises that may be out there, there's a deeper thing that he wants to do in us. There's this one gentleman that I meet with on a regular basis. And, and he basically, he seems to be one of those people who has joy. And the way he has joy is because he seems to live above all the fray of everything that's out there right now. Oh, sorry. Am I pitting up already? Yeah, I am. Sorry about that. But anyway, um, I have good deodorant, I promise, but it just doesn't work out here. But anyway, and, and I'll tell you one thing about that man. Every time I get near him, I feel so convicted because many times the things that I want to talk about are what I heard a politician say or promises out there or someone didn't quite work out, and that's what I'm bringing to the conversation. And, and he's always sitting there in his old humpty dumpty self, you know, sitting there saying, well, what do you think God thinks about all that? And, like, I grow silent. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that sometimes we put so much focus on the circumstance 
and not about the greater joy and the possibilities God wants to do through us. Lastly, to build joy in your life, you need to learn to be content. You got to learn to be content. In chapter 4, verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I have learned to be full and to be hungry, but to abound and suffer need. And here it is, the verse we've all memorized, yet it's seen in the context of contentment. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's basically saying this whole idea of contentment. You see, when we use that verse, we apply it to everything, don't we? We start thinking about our fears. Oh, I can face it because Christ can do great things in and through me. We got all these different things. But it's in the context of contentment here. That's where he's pulling from this. So being content, listen, isn't natural. It's something that must be disciplined disciplined in us and learned. It is easy to be content. Now, let's face it. When you're on easy street, Paul is not there. He's imprisoned. Being content, I want you to think about this as we begin to close, directly affects our ability to be joyful today. you got to learn to be content. As we close in chapter 4, verse 4, I want to say this verse again. Paul, it's almost like he could have put this at the very end of the letter, and it would have been a great close to the letter. Here's what it says. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. So this, let me just say this. This is going to sound insensitive right now, but listen to me. Joy is a decision. There's a lot of you that probably may not agree with me when I say that right now because you've got some big things in your life. But joy is a decision. You are as joyful as you choose to be. Based on this pass, in these passages, if you're discouraged, listen, it is because you're choosing to be discouraged. Some of you don't like me for saying that. I get it. There's times I don't like me saying that. <laughs> but it's true. Right now, at this moment, what is stealing your joy? Your circumstances. Maybe because of what the virus is doing to our nation and our people. Are other people still in your joy? How about that cynical attitude, worry, fear, resentment you have towards another person? I want to close with this last thought. What, are you, what you are not surrendering to Christ, listen, what you're not surrendering to Christ is the object that stands in the way of your joy. Have you surrendered these circumstances to him? Have you surrendered the ill feelings that you have towards another person to him? Have you, have, have you looked at your worry, your cynical attitude, and thought, you know something, that's not who I should be. There's so much more to what my life should be. What is he doing in your life? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you right now, and we just thank you so much for who you are. Father, we thank you that from your word we find a man He's in prison, awaiting possible execution. And yet something written 2,000 years ago speaks directly to where we are today. Father, I just thank you that your word is a living word. It's a powerful word. It's a word that can speak to us. I thank you for speaking to me through it this week. I thank you that you've used it to speak to hearts here today. 
And Father, I pray for that heart that may be here this morning that is really struggling. They're now living under the circumstances instead of above it all. They're allowing so many different things to steal their joy. Father, I pray that those sour grapes will be turned to joy, that those ill feelings that they have will be turned to joy, that the unforgiveness that they have towards another person, somehow you'll convict them in such a way that even that will be a response to joy. Father, we thank you for what you're capable of doing in and through your word. Father, I know you've spoken to our hearts. As we leave here today, help it not to depart us, but to be implanted in our hearts, that we would take it and nourish it, that we would take it and it would be something that can be consumed by us, it would be that fruit, or that others can consume from our lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.